You're listening to an audio resource from Vineyard Church of the Rockies in Fort Collins, Colorado. We are joining God's mission, transforming all things, and you're invited. To learn more about us and how you can connect, please visit votr.church. Amen. Amen, and good morning to everyone who's here. So great to worship with you. I love gathering. I love lifting our voices together and As always, I want to take a moment to welcome everyone on the live stream as well. We hear a lot of stories about what's happening for you as you tune in wherever you're at, and we're so grateful that God is meeting with you as he's meeting with us as we gather here in this space. Well, as I begin today, I I was thinking back to one of my first responsibilities uh, when I became uh, a pastor on staff here at the Vineyard. When the Faust family first moved to Fort Collins a number of years ago, one of my first tasks, one of my first responsibilities was to do kind of a battery of personality assessments so that people could get to know who I was, so I could share with them, you know, my top five strengths from Strength Finders or my Myers-Briggs kind of personality assessment, share with them my Enneagram number and all of that stuff. And these things are helpful, right? Like you can disclose a lot about yourself to the people around you and how you enjoy working, how you like being part of the team. But one of the assessments that we no longer do anymore, one of the assessments might have been a practical joke as much as it was like a real personality assessment. They had me take a 25-question assessment to find out what kind of Disney character I'm most identified with. I don't know if you've ever taken this one, but like I said, we don't do it anymore at the vine- it's, it was a funny thing, you know, so 25 questions and you crank through them and they kick out one of your uh, Disney characters. And, and in a moment, I'm going to ask for your participation because I'm going to ask you to just kind of shout out what you actually think I may have tested as. If you're online, you can do the same thing. You can chat in the character. You can just go ahead and chat it in right now. But this was a funny way for people to get to know me. And, and you know, I, it was interesting because I think we were all a little surprised. So again, church participation, I would be curious, like, what's your gut? Like, Pastor Jeff, really great guy, really courageous, really loving. Like, what? Shouldn't be that funny. Who do you think I tested out as? Goofy, Aladdin? Okay, I could take Aladdin. I could do Aladdin. Can I get... Donald Duck, yes. Very pastoral, very pastoral. Uh, Tigger, that, that, that might fit a little bit more. Um, okay, so here's how I actually tested out as Captain Jack Sparrow of Pirates of the Caribbean. <laughs> Doesn't that just st- scream like senior pastor to you, like brave and courageous and loving and kind and compassionate, right? No, I got the guy who's a liar and a cheater and like... <laughs> conniving everyone to just go on a boat and do whatever he wants to do, right? This is how I came out. But it kind of made sense because it was like a, it was a prophetic word in a way, because a couple years later, I actually dressed up as a pirate. Our staff every year, every summer, we try to take two or three days to do a spiritual retreat. It's just a way to kind of recharge our batteries together, to pray together, to seek God's will for our own lives as well as this church. We do it every year, but our staff would tell you when we go on these spiritual retreats, we also like to have a lot of fun together. We have a ton of fun together. We laugh all the time together. And one year, I had purchased 
a game for us to play, and it was one of those murder mysteries where you all get a character and you have to play that out and guess who done it. I don't know if you've ever done one of these, but they're a, they're a lot of fun. And I was Captain Redbeard. And for 30 minutes, I opened with a monologue, and for the next three hours, then, I just stayed in character talking to all the scallywags on staff, and we had a ton of fun. You could actually, like, let's put the new pictures next to each other. Who wore it best? Like, that's (laughs) the real question here, right? Who wore it best? Captain Jack, that's how... I tested us. And what's interesting, if you've never seen Pirates of the Caribbean, I, I promise you this actually has a point according to the text of what we're talking about today. If you've never seen Pirates of the Caribbean, Captain Jack, he has this compass that he takes with him wherever he goes, and he's always flipping it open, and he's always looking to see which direction he should go, where he should sail. And when you first encounter this compass, you think that it's broken because it never points to true north. It's just swirling all the way around, always pointing to him in a different direction. But as you follow the character and as you follow the story, you realize that the compass isn't broken at all. Actually, it's quite mystical. It was never designed to point to true north. It was designed to point to wherever your, whatever your heart wanted most. And the problem with Captain Jack Sparrow, of course, is that his heart was always changing. And he could never really realize what exactly he wanted, but rest assured, he's a pirate in the Caribbean. It was rarely good things. He wanted treasure or women or money or power, and it was always taking him in different directions. I'm sure you've heard the phrase before, just follow your heart. Everything will work out just fine if you'll only follow your heart heart. But as your pastor, I want to point something out to you this morning, that that's not always a great idea. Our hearts come up with all kinds of silly, crazy, horrible, even sinful ideas. And if we're always just following our hearts, we're going to get ourselves into a whole bunch of trouble. We're going to, I mean, Jeremiah 17 says the human heart is frail and corrupt. Apart from God, it is deceitful. So if you're always following the desires of your heart, you're going to end up making some pretty poor decisions in life, especially if your heart is not in the ongoing process of being transformed by the Holy Spirit. We need to follow Jesus, not our hearts. And even after following Jesus and your heart has been transformed, you still need to check in with the Lord because our hearts will still come up with some oddball ideas. And as we continue our series in the book of Romans together, we're going to see this reality explained to perfection. In our passage today, you're going to encounter the tragedy of what happens if it's only up to our hearts and only up to us. You'll see the beauty of what happens when you begin to partner with Christ, and you'll see this amazing invitation, this amazing promise to everyone who follows Christ. We're in Romans 6 today, and before I read our passage, I just want to give you a little bit of context. We have to remember that the book of Romans, I've mentioned this almost every week I've preached from the, from the book of Romans. We have to remember this is an actual letter to an actual church. 
We have to remember that there are people in Rome at the time of this who are gathering in a community a little bit like ours, but a little different, and they were seeking to pursue Jesus. They were trying to learn what it meant to follow God. They were trying to learn what it meant to be a follower of Christ when persecution was all around them. And the first four chapters of the book of Romans, Paul really begins to introduce them to this really important theological thought. We've talked about it in the last couple of weeks, the thought of justification by faith. Right? You remember me talking about justification, that you are made righteous before God, that you are justified before God, not because of your good behavior, not because of your good deeds, but because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on your behalf. That's what makes you righteous. And if you've never made a decision to follow Christ, if you've never made a decision to lay your life before him and ask him to forgive you of your sins so that you can be justified from this day forward, then at the end of our service today, we're going to give you a chance to make that most important decision of receiving the gift of eternal life and the forgiveness of sins through Jesus. The first four chapters are about justification. But from chapters five to eight, the next four chapters, Paul begins to kind of turn the page. And he says, if the first four are about justification, the next four chapters, they're about another theological word. I'm going to teach you this one. It's called sanctification. Now, maybe you've heard sanctification before. Maybe this is the first time you've ever heard it. But the word sanctification simply means the ongoing process of becoming holy, the ongoing work of becoming more and more like Jesus, more healing, more freedom, more holiness. And it's the process of you becoming more and more like him. If justification is the first four chapters, that's a one-time act. When you give your life to Jesus, he takes you from death to life. He adopts you into his family and you are forgiven forever. Sanctification is how do I live this out? How do I begin to follow him? How am I empowered by his spirit? How can I continue to seek healing? And that's important to know because as we dig into Romans 6 today, you're going to read a lot about the struggle that you experience once you start to follow Jesus. You're going to encounter in our scripture today this power dynamic between the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of darkness, between living for righteousness and living in sin. This is important for us to know as we think about our continual sanctification and the process of following Jesus. I'm going to read from Romans 6, a large chunk of scripture, the first 11 verses in Romans 6 this morning, starting in verse 1. Well then, should we keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more of his wonderful grace? Of course not. Since we have died to sin, how can we continue to live in it? Or have you forgotten that when we were joined with Christ Jesus in baptism, we joined him in his death? For we died and were buried with Christ by baptism. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. Since we have been united with him in his death, we will also be raised to life as he was. We know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. We are no longer slaves to sin. For when we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin. And since we died with Christ, we know we will also live with him. We are sure of this because Christ was raised from the dead and he will never die again. Death no longer has any power over him. When he died, he died once to break the power of sin. But now that he lives, he lives for the glory of God. So you also 
should consider yourselves to be dead to the power of sin and alive to God through Christ Jesus. I love Romans 6. I love how the end of this passage comes alive for me when I read it. We are dead to the power of sin. We are alive to God through Jesus Christ. This is a victorious passage for us. It's a victorious passage for us, not because of our strength, not because of behavior modification and the ability to learn how to live rightly. It's victorious for us because of the power of Jesus Christ, the power of the cross. And if you were listening, it talks an awful lot about sin in this passage, which isn't super popular to talk about these days, right? Sin is not like the top of the list of conversations we like to have while we're sipping on a coffee with some of our friends, but it's really important to God. It's really important to God, and because it's important to him, it needs to be important to me. It needs to be important to us as a church. If you're new to church or new to Christianity, sin is kind of the bad word of the Bible. It basically means to to miss the mark or to fall short of God's glorious plan. It means at times even partnering with evil. It's, It's kind of a broad word, but you can rest assured that it is a bad word. And it's gotten hard to talk about sin in the last few decades, primarily because of the culture around us. We're afraid of being canceled. We're afraid of maybe being labeled judgmental or too religious. And so we begin to shy away from talking about sin. And quite honestly, if you look back, like some of those labels have just cause. We haven't always talked about sin in a very helpful and hopeful way. But I'm not afraid to talk about hard things in a really loving way with you this morning. In this short passage, if you think through it or read through it again on your own, you'll notice that sin is mentioned at least a dozen different times in this passage. And there's something really important to learn about sin from Romans 6. Not that sin is only missing the mark or only rebelling against God, although that does mean, uh, that is what sin means. In this passage in Romans 6, we also learn that sin wants to control you. Sin wants to control you. That sin has power. And we, we mistakenly think that our Christian lives, that we kind of live in all of our own individual bubbles, that sin is just a, a behavior or a decision or an act or maybe even just an internal thought, and it's only going to impact us. But when you read Romans 6, you realize pretty quickly that those decisions or acts or private thoughts, behind all of those, there is a power at work. There is a power behind that sin that's seeking to take control of your heart, to enslave you to a life of sin and keep you in bondage for years and years and years and years. In Romans 6 alone, verses 6, 7, 10, 11, 12, 14, 16, 18, 20, 22, and 23, all of those verses, they don't just talk about sin, but they tie sin directly to power. Every single one of those verses ties sin directly to power. To power. I like verse 16 as a summary the best. It reads like this. Don't you realize that you become the slave of whatever you choose to obey? Paul's like, it's kind of your choice. Don't you realize you become a slave to whatever you choose to obey? You can be a slave to sin, which leads to death, or you can choose to obey God, which leads to righteous living. Sin has a sense of 
power. And when sin gets its way in your life, it begins to gain control. It begins to gain ground in your heart. And, then, and not all at once, right? It starts in small ways. And then every small decision, you let sin entrench itself a little bit deeper into your heart. And it takes more and more ground. It solidifies its position. It starts to demand more of your time and energy. It even requires sacrifice from you on sin's behalf. And you start to make some really bad decisions. When I had just become a Christian, I had no theology. I had no doctorate. I didn't know a lot about the Bible. And I met with one of my early pastors. He was a funny guy. He always seemed to know how to apply the word of God directly to my life. And he said, well, Jeff, the thing about sin is that it makes you stupid. And I remember like stepping back, like, can you actually say that to me? Can you as a pastor say that to me? I have since learned that you can say things like that. That actually when you partner with sin over and over and over again, it makes you think really silly thoughts. It makes you do really dumb things. And this is important to recognize because one of the arguments that I hear a lot really from all ages, but particularly um, from younger generations, is, man, I'm young. I'm living my life. I've got a lot of freedom right now, and so I'm just going to kind of continue down this road of, of fun and wild partying and, and living my life to the fullest and yada, yada, yada. Someday, I'll come back to God, and I know that he'll forgive me, and then I'll start to live rightly, whether, whether it's uh, when I get married or when I have kids or when I get my first job or when I retire. Then I'll really start living for God, but the problem with that argument, according to Romans 6 is that sin has power, and it wants to control your heart. It wants to control your life. And every time you partner with sin, you give up a little bit more control. You dig yourself a little deeper hole. And you might think that you have the power. You might think that you have the audacity to claw your way out of that hole in and of your own strength and power. But sin will not go that easily. It wants to control you. It wants to exert its power over your life. And I can't be the only one when they've experienced patterns of sin in their life that you just feel shame and you feel like you're never going to be able to get out. You feel condemned. You feel like you are slipping and getting a sense of maybe even being lost. Verse 16 says it clearly for all of us. You become a slave to whatever you obey. And when it comes to sin, it's always going to ask for more. It's always going to ask for more. Sin has power, and sin wants to control you. Now that it's all really quiet in here, very uncomfortable, let me remind you that Romans 6 is a passage of victory. It's a passage of victory because Jesus Christ came, laid his life down on the cross, was buried in the tomb, and was resurrected back to life. Remember that this passage is a passage of victory, and just as you begin to encounter the reality that sin and power go together in Romans 6, you also realize this beautiful promise that Christ breaks the power of sin in your life. Christ breaks the power of sin in your life. When you're a follower of Christ, you don't have to be controlled by sin anymore. You don't have to live in bondage to sin anymore because Christ died to set you free. 
He died to set you free. Verse 6, we know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. We are no longer slaves to sin. Now, if you've given your life to Christ, the power of sin is broken over your life. If you've never given your life to Christ, you can give your life to Christ today and he will break the power of sin in your life. You can come in in bondage and you can leave a changed person justified by your faith in Christ now walking out the sanctified life with him. This is your promise as a follower of Christ. The power of Christ will set you free. Now, if you read Romans, here's what's really interesting. You read Romans, it's a letter, right? It's a letter to a church, and every chapter kind of builds upon itself. And so you might remember last week in Romans 5, I talked about how we engage with God when we're walking through trials and tribulations. If you were here with us last week, the, the scriptures taught us that when we're walking through trials, we're walking through tribulations, that we can partner with God, and walking through those things, they'll develop endurance and character and hope. But notice what it says in Romans 6. It's very differently. The way that we it's very different the way we respond to trials and tribulations compared to the way that we deal with sin. Last week, just one page before, chapter 5, you rejoice. You rejoice in this present suffering. You stand in this place of undeserved privilege where you can confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing in God's glory. You remember this from last week? Now just turn the page to Romans 6. And it's very different language. It's very different language. The words are way more aggressive. In verse, or in chapter six, the, the words that are used are crucify. Crucify. This is a, this is a violent word. It's an aggressive word. It's a, it's a forceful word that we're called to crucify our old sinful nature to the cross so that it loses its power in our lives. It loses its power over your heart and over your mind. When you crucify your old nature to the cross, sin no longer has power over your life. It's no longer going to control your mind. We deal with trials in very different ways than we deal with unhealthy patterns in our life because trials lead to hope. But sin leads to destruction. And Paul is saying, approach these two things very, very differently. And here's the promise for all of us, that when you choose to give your life to Christ, when you throw your life upon the cross and you leave your old nature behind, Romans 6 promises you that you can now identify with the life of Christ and not the death of sin. That this is now your identity as a follower of Christ, that you get to identify with the resurrection power and you get to walk away from the death of sin. Verse 4 is an incredible reminder for us. It says, For we have died and were buried with Christ by baptism. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. Part of the reason why baptisms are so amazing is because it's a picture of this reality. It's a picture of this Romans 6 reality that when you go under the water, you're dying to your old self. And you're uniting yourself to the very death of Christ. And because you're willing to be buried with Christ, because you're willing to crucify your old sinful nature, that, that when you unite yourself in his death, you're also promised to be united in his life and in his resurrection. And when you come up out of the water, you can experience his resurrection life moving in and through your life from that point forward. 
Last baptism here at the vineyard, we baptized 18 people, and it was such a special Sunday together. It was incredible. And if you've never been baptized, we have another one coming in the fall, and it's a unique moment for your personal life to make a decision to be baptized, but it's a unique moment for everyone who witnesses it because we remember that this is what we're identifying with, that as each one is baptized, I'm remembering my own baptism, that I've laid down my old life, I've left it in the grave, and I've embraced the new life and the resurrection power of Jesus Christ. The reason this passage is so important for us, the reason why it's so important for our own sanctification, which, again, just a reminder, means the process of becoming more and more like Jesus. The reason why this is so important is because I've noticed as Christians, we often focus on the wrong types of things. Before following Jesus, our lives are marked by sin. We are doing whatever we want. Oftentimes, though, even after we give our life to Christ, we still focus on the wrong things. We're still focusing on the things that we don't want to do. We're still focusing on the sin in and all around us. And it's not, it's not helpful to like ignore sin or ignore all the ways that we make mistakes or fall short. I'm not saying that we should do those things, but it's not helpful, actually, to stay hyper-focused on the sin patterns in your life. You need to confess it, you need to repent it, you need to turn from it, you need to embrace it, your new life with Jesus Christ, and then you need to begin walking out that sanctification. Because if you don't, if you just hyper-focus on the sin and you hyper-focus on the things that you don't want to do, you inevitably start doing them. I mean, think about driving down the interstate at really fast speed, right? You're driving down the interstate at a really fast speed and, and you see an accident off to your right. If you fixate on the very thing that you're trying to avoid when you're driving from here to Denver, there's a pretty good chance you're going to create an accident because your hands start to drift where your eyes go. And in your life, if you're always fixating on the things that you don't want to do, it's going to be pretty easy for your life to gravitate to what you don't want to do. Instead, you need to recalibrate your life. You need to refix your eyes on the person of Jesus Christ. Again, don't ignore the stuff, confess it, repent it, but quickly embrace this person of Jesus Christ who has come to break the power of sin in your life. Fix your eyes on him and begin walking towards him. You can't focus on the accident. You can't focus on the sin in your life. You have to focus on Jesus Christ. It's the only way forward. And Here's my concern. This is my, my closing thought. When I pastor and when I make disciples, when I study and preach passages like Romans 6, I'm concerned that even though many of us have a saving relationship with Jesus Christ, some of us actually have a stronger relationship with sin than we do our Savior. That some of us actually have a stronger relationship with sin than we do our Savior. I know this because of a, lot, a lot of Christians that I talk with, they identify with their mistakes more than they identify with Jesus. But the power of the gospel says that you're not only forgiven, you're not only wiped clean, you're not only removed from your sin and washed as white as snow. The gospel of Jesus Christ actually says that the old is gone that he takes your heart of stone and he gives you a heart of flesh, that he gives you a new life with Christ. The old junk is gone. It no longer defines you. 
You have a relationship with Jesus now who will heal you and empower you and sustain you from this day forward. Christ died to forgive you, but he also died to set you free. He died to set you free, to break the power of sin in your life. So you're no longer held captive by your old nature because the old has gone away and newness with Christ is your promise. Listen, as your pastor, I just, like my heart just wants to speak to you for a moment. I don't want you to over-identify with your sin any longer. Don't over-identify with your sin any longer. You're not what you've done. You are not what you have done. And every time I hear someone accuse themselves, or every time I hear someone accuse someone else with a phrase like, once a liar, always a liar. Once a cheater, always a cheater. Right? Once an addict, always an addict. Or you begin to personalize it. I am an addict. I am a wreck. I am damaged goods. I'm a workaholic. I'm a rageaholic. I'm filled with anxiety. That's just who I am. These are identity statements with missing the mark and with baggage and with unhealthy patterns. They're not identity statements with the person of Jesus Christ who's come to make all things new. This is why... At our church, I love Celebrate Recovery so much because it doesn't make you over-identify with your sinful mistakes. It celebrates the, the community aspect and the process of being made whole and being made new in Christ. It's honest about the struggles. We're, we're very honest about the struggles at Celebrate Recovery, but we don't make you over-identify with your mistakes. We want you to identify yourself with the one who is setting you free. The gospel of Jesus Christ is more powerful than any of your past pain. He's more powerful than any of your current struggles. And he's more powerful than any of your future mistakes. You can be set free by the power of Christ today. Verse 10, one last time. When he died, when he died, he died once to break the power of sin. But now that he lives he lives for the glory of God. May all of us experience his glory today. Let's pray.